Pastor. Okay. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We're still in the first chapter. We introduced it last week. And as I was reading through this, I got to thinking about Paul's love for these people that he hardly knew. I got to thinking about Paul's love for people that he is, in later chapters, going to rebuke and correct even. Because they're imperfect people, they're sinners like us. How does one sinner like Paul love other sinners like the church at Thessalonica? Same thing we would ask about ourselves. How are we supposed to love each other when we still have sin in our lives? We still have immaturity in our lives. We still have things where we hurt people, we disappoint people, we mislead people. We do all kinds of things like that. Sometimes even unintentionally. You may be married to a person like that. How can I love this person? They're not what they promised to be. How in the world can I love a neighbor? The Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I can't love him. I can't love her. Do you see what kind of people that they are? How can I get to that point where I can love them? Maybe on the job. How can I do that? Maybe even in the church. Is there anybody in the church, don't say anything. Don't look at them. Anybody in the church just kind of rubs you the wrong way? Anybody in the church that just kind of annoys you just a little bit? And uh, I'm going to ask you to do some things that we're going to read about this morning. Paul is going to talk about thanking God for people. Have you ever thought about thanking God for that person that annoys you? Have you ever thought about for that parent that has let you down, thanking God for them. That spouse that's not everything they're supposed to be, thanking God for them. I mean, this is what Paul did, and this is kind of the basis for all of it. Have you ever thought about praying for them? Yeah, I'll pray for them. Let fire fall from heaven and, you know, that type of thing. Not that kind of a prayer, obviously. Have you ever thought about appreciating the good things that they do. Everybody's got flaws. Everybody's got positive traits as well. Have you ever thought about, instead of focusing upon where they messed up, start thinking and remembering where they do what's right and what's good, especially when we're talking about born-again believers? And then have you thought about the fact that it all boils down to just pleasing the Father? How does the Father feel about your attitude? How does the Father, what does He think about the way you ignore or avoid or the feelings of annoyance that you have toward another believer? So we're going to look at this and kind of see what Paul's strategy was, <clears throat> what he did. Because remember, he had come to Thessalonica from Philippi. Philippi was a bad experience. But Thessalonica was too, and Paul had to leave town after about a month, and uh, so he's writing back, and yet he really does love these people, and these people really do love the Apostle Paul. And I think if we look in 1 Thessalonians 1, we'll look in verses 2 through 5, and we'll see why. And you'll see the things that I mentioned uh, coming up in these particular verses. So uh, let's uh, get ready to read here. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 5. You ready? 
We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Okay? You saw all of those. All four of those things were right there. Let's talk about them, okay? Number one, give thanks for that person. Give thanks for them. Now, you ought to do that for everybody. Paul wasn't just saying, I give thanks for the people that get on my last nerve. He didn't say that, but they're included. He also didn't say, I give thanks for my best friends and supporters, even though they're included in it. He gives, he's giving thanks for everybody that is there. So I wonder, is there somebody you ought to be giving thanks for? Now, if you come up to me after the service and say, I give thanks for you. I'm really thankful for you. I'm going to be suspicious that you don't like me. So be careful about that. You'll hurt my feelings. Now, these are not things that are always expressed. Because Paul is not talking about, did you get my email? Did you get my text messages where I said I was thankful for you? Did you get my Valentine card? Did you get my Christmas card? No, he's telling them this now. After being gone and after having sent Timothy back to check on them. And then Timothy has come back and given him the report. This is a long time that he's been doing this. He's just cluing them in on what it is that he has been doing. But in the meantime, he doesn't just talk about it. He's actually doing it. Now, he talks about and frames it like this. Giving thanks. Now, notice he did not say, I feel thankful for you. Do you see the difference? We live in such a feeling-oriented age that our idea is I'm not going to give thanks for you until I feel thankful for you. You ever noticed anybody like that? Maybe you got somebody, maybe it's a family thing, maybe it's a work thing, maybe it's a neighborhood thing, maybe it's something in the church. I don't feel thankful Therefore, I'm not going to give thanks, for that would be hypocritical. Now, you'll notice here that Paul certainly felt something for them. We're not going to deny that, and we ought to feel brotherly affection, family affection for the people of God and for those who were in our own physical families. But notice Paul did not say, I, I've got a really good feeling about you. I've got a thankful feeling for you. He said, I give thanks. It's an act of the will rather than a feeling of the heart. And no matter how you feel, you can give thanks. You say, well, how can I do that sincerely? Because you know that God is the one who put that person in your life. God made them, and God made them and put them in your life. There is a reason that they are in your life. There's a reason even the people that kind of rub you the wrong way are in your life because you are being conformed to the image of God's Son. And as God is polishing you up, He's using some heavenly sandpaper on you. And it's irritating and it's kind of rough, but it is smoothing off your rough edges. And uh, that sandpaper has a name. And uh, you're probably thinking of that name right now. I started to say, and his name is Chad, but I, I thought that would be way too personal there. But they're smoothing you off. And you can give thanks for that. I thank you for that person 
who talks too long on the phone and goes into way too much detail about things I don't care about when I've got other things to do. What is that teaching you, patience? You can think about other people, and we could go on and on like that. This is what Paul's point is. Give thanks for these people. They're made in the image of God. If they're saved, they're redeemed by the same blood that saved you. You're going to have to live in heaven forever with them. And uh, they also are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit that indwells you. You ought to have a different attitude for them. And Paul said it ought to be a thankful attitude where you are giving thanks regardless of your feelings and you're doing it to the God who created them and put them in your life because somehow he is using them to make you more like Christ. Now, here's something you ought to think about. To resent them is to resent God, God himself. And so notice that Paul said he always does it But his thankfulness is not so much to them, but for them, to God. So his object of thankfulness is God. I am thankful to God for the people. Don't get that out of order. And so uh, our lives are supposed to be consistent love and thankfulness. In James chapter 3 verse 9, he talks about the tongue and he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And he tells us that it ought not be that way. And yet it is. It's that way sometimes in our physical families. It's that way in our marriages. It's that way uh, between children and parents and parents and children. It's that way among people in the church and all of the things that we have talked about. So let's start like this. Got a person in my life that has really blessed me over the years. I need to remember that and give thanks for them instead of being the what have you done for me lately person. But at the same time, Paul included the people in here like Euodius and Syntyche. Ever heard of them? He's going to give thanks for them as well. Because we ought to do this for the people that are rubbing us the wrong way. The closer they are, the more thankful we ought to be (coughs) to the Lord. For them. Okay. Secondly, notice that Paul mentions praying for them. I make mention for you. Uh, we make mention for you in our prayers. It is interesting that all these things are plural. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy were all doing this, but we'll focus on Paul. Now, I found it interesting. He said we make mention of you in our prayers. Uh, we don't normally say that. You know, we, we say, I'll be praying for you, or as the Lord brings you to mind, I'll pray for you, things like that. But I'll make mention of you in my prayers. Making mention means that these people were not the subject, and they didn't completely occupy the prayers. Now, uh, it is so easy when somebody does something wrong to you that you have them on your mind so much, that's all you pray about, all you think about. Even when you're praying, you are thinking about them. And Paul said, we don't have you completely on our minds all the time, but we do remember you. We do make mention of you in our prayers. Because Christ was the object of Paul's prayer, not the Thessalonian believers. However, as he thought about Christ and all Christ had done and how Christ had preserved him, then the Thessalonians would come to mind. And you'll find that as you were praying and as you were praising God and honoring God and thanking God for things and for people, He'll bring people to your mind that you need to make mention of in your prayer. The main subject of your prayer 
is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how great the need is, no matter how big the concern is, we cannot let our needs, we cannot let people, and we cannot let events take our focus off of Christ. Now, I want you to think about something in Matthew 6. Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, I, want, I just want you to listen. Listen with spiritual ears to how he taught us to pray. Do your prayers match anything like this? He said, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. You can trust Him, in other words. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or those who owe us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, how many times did Jesus address the Father? Several times before he ever talked about any daily needs or spiritual needs that we may have. And yet we find ourselves making ourselves and our needs and our shopping list, so to speak, the object of our prayers. Now I understand that because I do it myself. And this is why I have to think back to the model prayer that it starts off with God's name being glorified and honored, not our needs met. And then it ends in the uh, King James and New King James Version with uh, uh, his kingdom and power and glory it's kind of a nice sandwich that's in here and there's so much focus upon God well that's why Paul said we make mention of you in in our prayers because we're thinking about the bigness the greatness the power of God we're thinking also about our sin and we're thinking about our daily needs and we're thinking about the attack of the enemy but we don't forget you whenever that is happening the word mentioned there is the uh, Greek word menion, and it means to call to remembrance. Uh, I think of it like this. Here's a man that is deployed uh, in Iraq. He's in a combat zone. And while he is out there under fire and while he is firing back, he is getting orders. Maybe he's giving some orders, firing his weapon. Maybe he's dodging some things. And uh, he's got a mission. The mission, they're saying, take that hill or take that fortress or whatever it might be. And that's where his focus is. Now, does that mean he does not love his wife? Does that mean he does not love his children? No, he's actually out there fighting for them. And because of them, even though at that particular moment, he may not be thinking of them. He's got something else that he is focused on. However, when he gets back to his forward operating base that night he sits down at a computer and he uh, opens it up and he goes to his uh, email and he puts his wife's name in there and then he writes her a nice letter he is mentioning her he's remembering her that's the way this works when you and I are praying Paul is making it clear that we're in battles we've got other things we're doing we've got a mission objective but I just want you to know I haven't forgotten you that I care about you and that I love you so if you've got somebody in your life that you're having trouble with pray for them 
But don't let your prayer stop there and don't let that occupy everything in your prayer life. You've got a whole lot more to pray about and to get to know God through your prayers. But be like the deployed soldier because that's really what you are. So we're going to thank God for other people. And we also are going to remember to pray for them, making mention of them in our prayers. Thirdly, we're going to appreciate them for what they get right. Appreciate them for what they get right. Have you ever noticed sometimes we complain about somebody and then we kind of uh, tag on something? You know, of course they are. They have a, a good heart, we might say, or they really care about people, we might say. Well, our focus was on the negative and then we happen to kind of tag on the positive. Now, if you do that, then you're going to be looking for the negative. And the next time they do that, you go, oh, I knew it. There they are. They're doing it again. I told you that's what they do all the time. And you miss the blessing. Now, Paul had some negative things to say about this church in Thessalonica. But he doesn't focus on the negative, does he? In fact, you'll find even when he writes to the, that stinky church at Corinth, what does he do in the introduction? He builds them up as saints of God. And sometimes we forget to do that. We are here to encourage and here to bless other people. So appreciate them for what they get right. Nobody does it all wrong, do they? And he says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So these people are immature Christians and they have their problems, as we shall see, just like we do. But it's what Paul chooses to pay attention to. This is what we remember about you. Not your weakness, not your immaturity, not your failure, not any of that. But, oh, man, we are impressed by what you have done. Now, you'll notice here he talks about a work of faith. So we might put this down as the motive for their work is their faith, something that results in a changed life. The word for work is ergu, and um, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm telling you that in just a minute, but bear with me. In 1 Thessalonians 1.9, it says, For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And uh, so Paul is saying, I remember how the faith that you expressed in Christ worked itself out, worked itself out so that you turned to God from idols and everybody is hearing about it. We don't even get a chance to tell them. You're an echo chamber for the gospel. You remember that the, gospel, uh, the book of James tells us that uh, faith without works is what? It's dead. And Paul is saying, I saw the outworking of your faith. And so when you think about this person that maybe rubbed you the wrong way, do you see the outworking of their faith? Now you may not, so you need to pray for them to be saved. But you might. And you look at that and you say, okay, Lord, I've got a choice. I can, e even foc I can either focus upon what they do that bugs me, or I can focus on what they do that is a blessing to the kingdom of God. And that'll help you. Now, the next thing 
that he talks about is labor. Labor. And uh, the word for labor is uh, kopos. And uh, that's a different word because we sometimes interchange work and labor like, you know, eh, work or labor. I'm laboring here at my job. I'm working here at my job. But uh, Paul doesn't do that here. This uh, word in the form it's in here in this uh, particular verse is kopu. And uh, it's an outgrowth of love. And Paul says you labor out of love. What in the world does he mean? Well, this word kopu, it is a word that talks about exhaustion and toil. Toil to the point of exhaustion. But it's usually used in the terms, this is not necessarily fun work. This is not fulfilling work. This is not purposeful work. This is work that has trouble with it. Okay? This is the kind of work that you do. Well, it says labor. For those of you who are moms, what do you call it when you are delivering a baby? You are laboring, laboring. And why do you labor like that? Because you can't wait to hold that little baby. And you love that little baby, a labor of love. And Paul said, we saw in your life the outworking of faith. And that work can be the pleasurable kind of work. The things you do that you really enjoy, that you find purpose and passion in, that you just dream job. It's work, but oh boy, you do it. But labor is that thing you do that you normally would not do, but you keep on doing it. You got a child like uh, that baby Jessica uh, a couple of decades ago that fell into that well in Texas. And those people would work and work and work and work and dig and they would chisel and they would do all kinds of things because they wanted to get that baby out. They didn't do it because it was fun. They didn't do it because it was fulfilling. It was a labor of love. Just like a woman giving birth to her children, it's a labor of love. And Paul said, I see the things that you do, not because people applaud you, not because you get fulfillment, not because you make money, not because you get a buzz, not because it makes you happy, but you do it because it needs to be done. And you do it just because you love God and you love the people of God and therefore you press on, you battle on, you keep on keeping on, you're plowing on, you're doing whatever it is that you need to do. Paul said, I saw that in you. And then he talks about patience, patience of hope. And uh, boy, that's a tough thing sometimes to be patient. But uh, when he says it's in hope, what that's telling us is they were enduring. That's what the word patience there means, to keep on, to endure, not to give up. And uh, really, you only need patience in tough times, don't you? And they said that their hope kept them going. Hope in spite of persecution. Hope in spite of being separated from families. Because you know that there were some of these people in Thessalonica that trusted Christ and they were kicked out of their synagogue. They couldn't worship with their families. They couldn't eat with their families. They were an outcast. They were rejected. And yet, why did they put up with that? Why did they help other people? Why did they keep on keeping on? It's because they had hope. They knew that one day they were going to go see Jesus or one day Jesus is coming to get them. And so they kept on in hope because that was their patience. They uh, looked at the trials of life in light of God's return. 
and uh, the word is um, hupomonic, uh, and it, you, it means to be steadfast. And I want to ask you, what is the biggest downfall in your life, and is it not many times lack of steadfastness? That's why you can't lose weight. That's sometimes why you don't finish an education. That's why you don't do well with your money. That's why marriages fail. That's why, I mean, we could go on and on with it. And yet the characteristic of the Thessalonian church, Paul said, was you have hope. And that hope is not in your circumstances. It's not in the government. It's not in the people around you. The hope is in Jesus Christ himself. That's why you keep on keeping on. That's why you're going with constancy. That's why you endure. One writer said, In every man there is something fine. And often the best way to rid him of the lower things is to praise the higher things. The best way to eradicate his faults is to praise his virtues so that they, were, they will flower all the more. Haven't we all felt like that sometimes? You've been at a job and you can do everything that you're supposed to do and then some. And what is it that the boss, the management notices? It's not all the good things you did. It's not the extra time you put in. It's when you came in a little bit late. It's when you weren't quite able to get the project finished on time or in the way they wanted it. And you know, that's the way we raise our children. So many times we look at them and they're doing something right. They're playing well together, sharing their toys, all of that kind of stuff, being sweet. And a lot of times as parents, we don't even notice that because in the back of our minds, well, that's what they're supposed to do. They're finally doing what they ought to do. But let them mess up. And boy, we'll notice that in a heartbeat. Let them get on our nerves and we'll notice that in a heartbeat. And you know what happens? We do that with people in the church. We do that with our spouse. We do that with people in the neighborhood. We forget about the time they brought us the lasagna when we're sick. But we remember the time when they, you know, whatever, blew all their grass clippings on our yard or something like that. We forget about those things. And Paul is saying, this is how I bonded with these people so strongly, so strongly. I was thankful for them. I was praying for them. And I looked at what they did rather than what they didn't do. And I focused upon the virtuous things, the commendable things, instead of simply the negatives. I went to a conference one time on fatherhood. And the admonition was for us as fathers. My children were young then. Catch them doing something right. We catch them doing wrong. Ah, I knew you. Oh, caught you. Catch them doing something right. And I would say that will work in a marriage. That'll work in a church. That'll work in a neighborhood. That'll work in a friendship. Wherever you try it, catch them doing something right. Because it's so easy to see and to camp on the negative things. <clears throat> Boy, we do that so easily, especially through gossip. And number four. Just do whatever pleases your father. Notice that Paul ends this section and he says, In the sight of our God and Father. 
The Bible says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. God the Father looks at us the same way you would look at your kids and you might say sometimes, boy, the kids really got along today. Wasn't that nice? Wasn't that nice? They weren't fighting, they weren't hitting, and they weren't nitpicking each other. I don't know, you know, back in the days of bench seats, remember those? And uh, I would be sitting on this side, my brother would be sitting on this side, and uh, man, we could find a million, you're hot, and the thing's long, and we didn't have DVD players or anything like that to occupy our time. We had to look out the window and see the scenery. Wasn't much of a place to sleep, you know? Sometimes you get there and get down there and try to sleep on, on that hump, you know, that was in the back seat. And as you got taller, you couldn't do that anymore. And uh, so we would make territory. This line right here, this is mine. And if you touch this, I'm going to punch you. But you know, my brother, you, you know how ornery he is. I've told you enough about him. And uh, I would try to be as sweet as I could. You just stay on your side. I'll stay on my side. You, he, you know what he would always do? You ever been on an airplane, you go and you get your seat, and uh, while you're sitting there, they're so tight, especially if you're in the middle, and you pick out the people, please, Lord, not that one. Please, Lord, not that one. And uh, I always attract the 800-pounders. Say, so how can you say that? You'll offend someone. I've looked. They're not any here. I didn't say 600, okay? So we, we went to eight just so we wouldn't offend anybody. But uh, that type of thing. Well, you know, that, that thing when you're sitting in your seat in the airplane and you have these people, it's like you're oozing over into my space. I don't know what to do with my arm. You, you, uh. Well, that's the way my brother would do it in the car. He would scoot over and then pretty soon he's past the line. Well, peace through strength. Boom! <laughs> right? And uh, I, I, my parents couldn't understand. I'm just trying to keep the peace. He needs to stay on his side. Border security, all that stuff, right? Man, I got in as much trouble as my brother did. And, uh, you know, it's easy to think about those kind of things. It's easy to be territorial. It's easy to point out everything that is wrong and everything that is right. And, you know, my brother and I could do that while we were driving through the Grand Canyon. And we would miss everything around us because we're so busy pointing out you're over the line. You're over. Amen? Or oh me. Because that's the way we tend to do with people. Well, well, I, uh, okay, I guess they're okay. But here's something you need to know about them. Well, I hear you saying that, but you probably don't know how they treated me, what they did for me, or what they didn't do for me when they should have done it. And, uh, you know, my parents would get so upset whenever my brother and I would fight. And there, were, uh, there was more than one time when Dad stopped the car and he said, you're both going to get it. And we both got spanked. And that was so unfair because... Uh, he always spanked me harder and longer than he did my brother. And plus, it was all my brother's fault, right? And when I get to heaven, we're going to straighten that all out. See? Well, that's the way the people of God act. And you know, when God looks down upon us, he sees whether we're loving each other, whether we are appreciating each other, praying for each other, being thankful for each other, 
and noticing what other people are doing right because the truth of the matter is none of us would have anything that would be right if it were not for the grace of God. Can I get an amen on that? And so if you want grace for you, give it to somebody else. Let me read you another quote. We treat others the way we value them. Ouch. We treat others the way we value them. And we value them because they are made in the image of God. And we are thankful to God for them. And if they are believers, we value them because they are in Christ. They're redeemed by His death, His blood. And they're indwelt by His Spirit. And so we do this because Paul said to these Thessalonians, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord is sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of ministry we had to to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come and Paul said that's why it's not because of your economic status it's not because of the clothes you wear it's not because you're a thoughtful person it's not because you're just a kind person it's not because you're funny it's not because I enjoy being around you it's not because you support me oh it goes so much deeper than that and Paul said because of who you are in Christ and what he has done for you and because we're together in this that I thank God for you that I pray for you that I remember and focus on what you've done right because that's the grace of God. And I want to be pleasing to the Father as well as you. And the Father is pleased when we have unity together. And so we close by asking you to uh, come to the altar and pray for somebody. Don't tell them, you're, I have trouble with you and God's put it on my heart to pray for you. I don't want any of that. don't want any of that. In high school, an evangelist preached on making things right with your brother. And I saw this one friend of mine that's looking kind of glum. What's, what's the matter? Why are you so glum? He said, Joe came over and told me that he was sorry for hating me. I never knew he hated me. Don't, don't do that to people. Okay? If it's between you and God, keep it there. Okay? But there's probably somebody you need to pray for. It may be somebody in your family. It may be somebody in your workplace. It may be somebody in the church. It may be somebody in your neighborhood. I don't know where. But you need to pray for them today. And you need to come to the altar and you need to give thanks for them. And you need to thank God for the things that they do and the things that they get right. 
It may be tying off of our Sunday school lesson. You may have a Nebuchadnezzar in your life or in your family that they know things about God, but they don't show the fruit of knowing Him. And you need to pray for their salvation and pray that things will get clear. And so uh, there may be somebody that you actually really, really like and you really get along well with them. You know what? You're supposed to thank God for them just as much as you are the people that are the pain in the neck. And you also are to pray for them. They need it. And you also are to remember what they have done for you because they've been a blessing to you. And so we're going to end this time by asking you to come to the altar, to gather around people, to pray for people in storms and trials, and uh, even to do what we've talked about in this message this morning. This is how Paul did it. You can do it as well. Okay? So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to go wherever you need to go. Maybe there's somebody you need to shoot a text to or something like that, or come to the altar. Maybe there is actually somebody you can go to and say, look, I'm not saying this because you're a pain in the neck. I'm coming here because I genuinely do love and appreciate you, and I really am thankful uh, for you. And let's spread a little love around this morning like Paul did.